when I was in youth ministry for years, one of the things at youth camp was that there'd always be somebody that whether they were just tired or needed attention, it seemed like they would find something to kind of gripe about. It's like, I, my arm hurts when I do this. It's like, well, don't do that. You know, it's like there's always something wrong, something that was hurting. And I remember I would just usually eventually say to him, just joking around, well, do you want me to step on your foot real hard so you'll forget about your arm hurting? You know, they look at me like, I don't think you're supposed to say that as my youth pastor. You know, but I always enjoyed uh, just kind of watching that play out during the, the week of youth camp, how sometimes the, the smallest and what seems like trivial things can just become a big deal. We see that within our own bodies. Have you ever had a, a toothache? I mean, there's something that really hurts. It can be a small thing, a small crack in your tooth. And man, it causes a lot of pain. And if you think about the size of a tooth and even the nerves in your tooth or even the size of a cavity that can hurt, how small is that in relation to the rest of your body? And yet when that is not functioning properly or when that little part is out of sorts, it really affects the whole, doesn't it? I mean, it can really mess with your day. Well, the way that God has designed the body of Christ, which is the church both locally and university, universally, is that the church has many parts, but we are to function together as a whole. And if one part suffers, then the whole body is suffering. If one part is being honored or rejoicing, then the, the body rejoices with it. But what was happening in the church of Corinth some 2,000 years ago is that they were exalting themselves one over the other, and even taking their spiritual gifts that were given to them, a gift is something that you're given, and they were being prideful and arrogant and divisive over the gifts they were given. So Paul writes to them in 1 Corinthians 12 to try to straighten out some of these issues. I invite you to turn with me to 1 Corinthians 12, and today's sermon is simply titled Spiritual Gifts, Part 2. We have about a four week mini-series here where we're focusing on spiritual gifts. We started last week, and we're going through the book of 1 Corinthians. We've titled that series, Counterculture, How We Can Live for God and How We Can Live for Jesus in a World That Isn't. And what Paul was doing with the church at Corinth, if you're a guest with us today, especially what Paul was doing was, this church was a mess. So the entire book of Corinthians, 1 Corinthians specifically, it's just Paul addressing one issue after another. He just moves from issue to issue to issue to issue. So in 1 Corinthians 12, he comes to the issue of spiritual gifts. And he's telling him, look, you, you've got some stuff out of order. There's some stuff that's messed up here. You're being divisive over this. Let's talk about it. Let's straighten it out. So we looked at that beginning at last week. Uh, also, if you weren't here last week or just new today, whatever, there are should be a link in the bulletin again this week to a spiritual gifts inventory or test survey. If you're not sure what your spiritual gifting is, there is a link to a free resource there. There are some that might be better, but free is hard to beat. And so there's a link to a free resource there in your bulletin to help you discover what your spiritual gifting is. But let's pick up where we left off in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, beginning... At verse 12, Paul's been talking about spiritual gifts. In chapter 12, verses 1 through 11, he continues, For the body, for as the body is one and has many members, but all the members of that 
one body, being many, are one body. See the emphasis there? So also is Christ. Jesus is the head of his body. While there are many local congregations, we are all a part of the universal body of Christ with one head who is Jesus. For by one spirit we were all baptized into one body, whether Jews or Greeks, whether slaves or free, and have all been made to drink into one spirit. Now what he's referencing here is that filling of the spirit that happens at the moment of salvation, that as I put my faith in Christ, I am not only forgiven of my sins, I am filled with his spirit. And as we're filled with his spirit, he is the same spirit that's given to all. Again, Paul's pointing to the unity. He's saying, look, y'all are being divided over your spiritual gifts, but it's the same spirit that you each have that's giving you those gifts. And that spirit is not divided. You, you see his argument there? Now look at verse 14. For in fact, the body is not one member's, but many. You have many fingers and toes and hopefully just one head, right? But you have many members. If the foot should say, because I am not a hand, I'm not the body, is therefore it not the body? And if the ear should say, because I'm not an eye, I'm not the body, is it therefore not of the body? He's saying, in other words, let's stop there for just a moment. Maybe you don't like how you are. There are people that struggle with their identity and, and how they're made. Maybe how they look or their talents or something about their life. But you were made in the image of God. If you've put your faith in Jesus, you are a child of God, filled with God's Spirit. God has not made a mistake with you. You are filled with God's Spirit, given the gifts of His Spirit for service unto your King. And we're not to look at others and go, well, I'm only the foot, they're the hand, I guess, whatever, I'll just give up. I don't get to be that. No, you have been uniquely gifted by God's Spirit to serve in a way that only you can serve. And we know from Ephesians 2, 8, 9, and 10 that it's by God's grace that we're saved through faith, not of works, not of ourselves, lest anybody should boast. It goes on in verse 10 to say, we're his workmanship created in Christ for good deeds that God has prepared in advance that we should walk in. God has work that he prepared. He not only made you, he made something for you to be about, a purpose for you to be about that is uniquely designed to you. And so don't worry about what the other member may be doing, so to say, the other part. Man, you, you have something that God has done in you that is worth rejoicing in. And then look at verse 17. If the whole body were an eye, this is great, where would be the hearing? I mean, this is like some sci-fi weird stuff. I don't know. It's, Paul's kind of getting weird here. If, if the whole were hearing, where would be the smelling? Uh, but he's making a point. He's going to extreme to make a point. If, 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 if I was just eyeballs, walking eyeball, first of all, I probably, I mean, I wouldn't be able to walk. I'd be stepping on my eye. That would be painful. Uh, if, if I was just covered in ears, again, I, I mean, I could hear really well, but I, I guess I'd just be laying on the floor listening to everything. It, it'd be weird, right? It's not natural. And so Paul is saying, so it is in the body of Christ. We're not all the same thing, and that's beautiful. That's great. That is how God has designed it. 
God has built a diversity in to his body that actually attributes to the health of his body so that his body can function the way that God has purposed for us to function. Look at verse 18. But now God has set some members, each one of them in the body. Don't miss this. Just as who? He pleased. This points us back to verse 11 last week where the Spirit distributes the gifts as He wills. I find great comfort in that, that God gifts me according to His will, His pleasure, the gifts that He knows I need for the service unto Him. I'm too short-sighted to figure that out. God knows it, and He knows what I need to render service to Him. And it pleases Him to gift me in that way. Isn't that wonderful? Isn't that encouraging? In verse 19, and if they were all one member, where would the body be? He's just basically throwing out a rhetorical question, helping us think about what he's saying here. Look at verse 20. But now, indeed, there are many members, yet one body. And really, verse 20, we're going to stop there for just a minute, and verse 12 are very much the same thing. He's saying the same thing, but in a different way. And that's it's kind of somewhat of an inclusio. In other words, it's the, the beginning and the end. It's the bookends to some degree of an argument. He's going to continue it. But basically his point is what he's saying in verse 12 and repeating in verse 20. And what's in between those, he's illustrating. He's teasing out his argument. So if we take verse 12 and we take verse 20 together, then we have our first point for today. And that is this. The body of Christ is many and one. The body of Christ is many and one. It's both. It's kind of like, um, is that green or blue? Yes. <laughs> what? It can't be both. In the body of Christ, it can be. In the body, we can be many and individuals and yet one. That's the beauty of the body of Christ. Look again at verse 12. For as the body is one and has many members. Now, who makes it that way? Well, read on. But all the members of that body being many are one body, so also is Christ. It's always about Jesus. It always comes back to Jesus. He is the head and the unifier of his body. He gives the spirit to all who believe in him, but it all points back to him. Look at verse 20. But now indeed there are many members, yet one, what? Body. So kind of with that basic foundational principle laid down, let's, let's tease this out a little bit more for our day-to-day -day living. I have, a, I have a few sub-points for you, so you that are note-takers, you have some extra stuff today, this week. Here's a sub-point under point one. Each part has received the same spirit. We've really already covered that. That's in verse 13. Each part has received the same spirit. All been made to drink into one spirit, verse 13. God is, is one, and yet even in the Trinity, we saw last week with the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and yet one God. And while there are many members of the body, we've received the same Spirit, and that Spirit, I want you to think about it. The Holy Spirit is a unifier. The Holy Spirit is a unity builder. The way the Spirit gifts you and leads you and prompts you is to build up the body of Christ and to bring glory to Christ. Jesus even said the Spirit will come and he'll, he'll bring glory to me. 
So if you're ever about to take an action that is contrary to the unity of the body of Christ or the glory of Jesus, you need to stop and go, is this the Holy Spirit of God leading me? And if it is not towards the unity of the body and the glory of Jesus, then odds are it's not. And God's doing something else in your life. God, what are you showing me? What are you doing in my life? Where do I need to adjust my thinking so that I can contribute to the unity of the body and the glory of Christ? The second sub-point is this. Each part is according to the will of who? Will of God, right? We saw that in verse 18. But now God has set the members. God, God has set the members. God has set the members, each one of them, in the body just as he pleased. Again, it's according to the working and the will of God. God has you. He has you where he wants you. He's gifted you how he wants you to be gifted. And he's called you into his service. And then the third sub-point is this. Each part is needed by the whole. No man is an island. God did not create you to just live out your spiritual life apart from other people. I mean, you can't even obey the basic Christian uh, commands given to us by Jesus by yourself. You can't be baptized, you know, in secret by yourself. You can't go and make disciples by yourself. God has designed the Christian to live out the Christian life in the context of the local church and in this world shining for him. That's how God's designed it. Each part is needed by the whole. You have a role to play right here in the life of First Baptist Church, Liberty City. And that's a great thing. You know, it's kind of like um, with football. It, it cracks me up. Before a football game, who are they interviewing? Who are they talking about? It's some star wide receiver or a quarterback or maybe some controversy has happened that week, right? And they're getting all the media attention. You'd never, well, I'll not say never, okay. Almost never do you see a news reporter excited to get that interview with the kicker, the kicker on the team. I mean, for sure not the field goal kicker and like never the punter unless he's about to reach some milestone. That's when the kickers or the punters are interviewed. It's because they've, they're on some hot streak or so many years or something's happened and it's like, oh, well, this is kind of interesting. Let's give the kicker a nod right? But when you think of a football team, the, the kicker, the field goal kicker is not who you give priority to, right? Except when there's three seconds left, the coach has called a timeout, the game is tied, and the ball's on the 35-yard line. And the kicker goes out. And if he makes that kick and he wins that game, who all of a sudden is the focus? The kicker, who, who's going to be in the press release, who's going to be interviewed after the game? The kicker, right? And so what God has done in the body of Christ is he has even gifted those that we would overlook and made them very important in his body. And those that we would think, oh, they're for sure something, God says, uh, I need to learn some lessons before I use them. That's the way the kingdom of God works. God loves to turn us upend to show us just how little we know and how great he is it's kind of like if you're getting ready to do some cooking maybe you're making some chicken and dumplings mm, good stuff maybe make some taco soup we just had some last night imagine if you didn't have salt 
You can't have chicken and dumplings without salt. It's just going to be some bland noodles, right? You can't have that taco soup. Without, you, you can have everything else you need. You can have a taco soup where you've got those stewed tomatoes, you've got corn, you've got your ground meat. You can have your shredded cheese ready and your sour cream. Y'all getting hungry yet? And I still got a ways to go, so just hold on. And you can have every other ingredient, but if you look over and that salt shaker is empty, you got a problem, don't you? Now, you may not have been thinking about that salt all day long, but when it's time for that salt to do something and that salt in there, you've got a problem. So it is when the body of Christ, if you're not engaged in the gifting that God has given you serving him, it's not only you that's missing out, it's the rest of the body that's missing out. I've told you all this multiple times before. Some of you have come back and repeated it to me. I'm not keeping you from serving Jesus. If you want to get out and witness to your friends, you want to start a ministry, you want to get out, that's great. Let's do it. I'm not keeping you from doing it. One of the greatest needs we have in the life of our church are people that are willing to step up and actually lead something and not wait for other people to lead. I'm sure not keeping you from stepping up. And you know what? Sometimes that, that leadership role may be something that nobody else knows about. Sometimes we, we think of leadership as, as, as what I'm doing right now. This is service. This is me just serving. In my giftingness, preaching. Your service may not be in front of everybody, but it is equally important. It all contributes to the body and to the glory of Christ. And when it's not there, man, the body suffers. Just like those chicken and dumplings without salt, it just doesn't taste right. And if you're not engaged in serving and your giftingness, something is missing from the body of Christ. But let's continue on, verses 21 through 27. And the eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you, nor again the head to the feet, I have no need of you. Again, this is kind of bizarre argumentation by Paul. But it's not like my feet are just going to go, I'm done, you know. Or my eyes, well, I'm just going to quit working. You know, I've, I've, some of you have experienced that when your body has broke down. You can't use your feet like you used to. Or you can't see like you used to. And, you know, what he's saying here is, <laughs> well, let's just continue on, actually, verse 22. No much rather those members of the body which seem to be weaker are necessary. That's what I was just explaining. Is that, man, it, especially in today's day and age. I mean, we, we like to say, oh, it's never been as bad as it is now. Corinth was terrible. And, and nobody here has been, you know, dipped in tar and, and crucified and lit on fire. So it's been pretty bad at times, okay? So that whole, it's never been as bad as it is now, uh, I don't know about that, okay? But it is bad. And, and the sin and the things that are going on in this world, and it speaks to a sense of urgency that we should live with as believers, Amen? I mean, every day that Jesus doesn't return, you know what that is? It's another day that his return is closer. And there should be a sense of urgency to that, to the body. And those ones that we would say, oh, well, they're not really needed, and people that we would sit in judgment of, God is saying, no, I've put them in the body for a reason. I've gifted them for a reason. They're important. They have a role to play. Verse 23, and those members of the body which we think to be less honorable, on these we bestow greater honor, and 
are unprecedented parts with greater modesty. I'm not going to get into the details of what he's talking about here in a mixed audience, but I'll let you use your imagination or not. Verse 24, but our presentable parts have no need, for God composed the body, having given greater honor to that part which lacks it. There should be no schism in the body, but that the members should have the same care for one another. Let's stop there for a moment. He's saying, look, the things that are dishonorable, we cover. The things that we are dishonorable, sometimes we uncover. He's, he's going into this, he's continuing his metaphor through the body. But again, he's pointing out the fact that God takes the judgments we make and turns them on end. And he says, no, this is really what's going on. And, and these that we would discount are really important. And so when he says in verse 25 that there should be no schism, that's speaking to the issue at Corinth. They're being divided over their gifts. That the members should have the same care for one another. And that's really at the heart of it. We've talked about these gifts are given that we should serve one another. And he's saying you're taking your spiritual giftingness and you're being divided over it when the goal of the spiritual gifts are to take them and care for one another, to serve one another. So I say, let's get back to that. Let's do that. Look at verse 26. And if one member suffers, all the members suffer with it. Or if one member is honored, all the members rejoice with it. Now you may think, well, I, you know, I don't, somebody else is having a bad day. It doesn't necessarily mean I'm, it affects me all that much. And sometimes we have so much going on in our own life, it's hard to even think about what somebody else is going through. But I've also found the opposite true. Sometimes if I have so much going on in my life, I need to think about what others are going through to get out of myself. I need to get a bigger perspective than what's going on right here. And realize that there is a larger world at play. There are things happening to more people than just me. God is at work. God is still good. And you know, my brothers and sisters in Christ that are suffering over here, I, I should care for them. I should serve them. You know, one of my, my friends, longtime friends in ministry, like accountability partner to me, one of the things we've talked about is if you're really just having a rough day uh, ministry, maybe it's just a Monday that they say, you know, never quit on a Monday, and you're having one of those kind of Mondays. One of the best things you can do to turn that day around is get out and go make some visits. Go to the nursing home. Go visit some shut-ins. Make some calls to people and pray with them over the phone. And there's something about when you get outside of yourself, it can really change your perspective on things, even when you're in your own suffering. And then look at verse 27. Now you are the body of Christ and members individually. And again, what he's doing in verse 27 is just repeating verse 12 and verse 20. He's just saying it in a different way. You're, you're all members, but it's the same body. And what a great statement. Let's just pause and reflect on that. You are the body of Christ. We could really spend an entire morning just on those words. You are the body of Christ. Five words that are deeply significant. Jesus is the head. Who are we talking about here? Are we talking about some little uh, kind of baseball player or celebrity or somebody that we look up to? No, we're talking about Jesus. Are we talking about some political 
leader or great figure throughout history. No, we're, well, to some degree, yes, great figure through history, but we're talking about Jesus. You, you can think of the greatest person outside of Christ that has ever walked this world or the person that you're looking up to the most right now and they pale in comparison to Jesus. They're not even the same ballpark as Jesus. And we get to be his body. Isn't that awesome? Now you are the body of Christ. That's good stuff. That brings us to our second point. Christ is the one who gives significance to each part of his body. And, and you know what's really great about that is it's not about what other people think about me. It's about what God has already said about me in Jesus. Now, when people say, well, I don't care about what those people think, you know, forget them, that's actually a defense mechanism and immaturity. What you're doing is you're, you're protecting yourself because you've been hurt. Well, I don't care about them. Forget them. No, you do. You've been hurt. It's coming out. But to be able to say, God has accepted me, so no matter whether people accept me or reject me, I'm free to love them back. You see? You see the difference? I'm not living for man's approval because I already have God's. And that's what we all need. That's why I love Romans chapter 8. It's such a contrast to the way the world operates. The way the world operates is you do for me what is valuable to me. You perform for me. You give me what I need and I'll value you. And as soon as you don't do that, you know, all bets are off. I mean, it's really a harsh world when you just are honest about it. The way that the world treats people, we, we're consumers. We use other people, and then when they're not doing what we want, we're done with them. But that's not the way of Christ. That's not the way we're called to live as Christians. In the book of Romans, we're not going to, for time's sake, we're not going to go to Romans 8, because I need to wrap up here soon. But I put a little post-it note in my Bible this week as I was looking at Romans 8. Romans 8, 21 says, what shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? That's a great, great statement. If God is for us, who can be against us? And as you continue on Romans 8, here are just some of the things that it says. God will freely give us all things in Jesus Christ. I mean, if, if Christ has already died for us and risen from the grave, God's not going to withhold anything we need. He's going to freely give us all things. The next statement is, it's God who justifies, who condemns. Look, look, it's what God says about me that matters. And if God says that I'm right before him, then whether you accept me or not, sorry. I'm going to go with what God says. Then he goes on and says, makes intercession for us. The Holy Spirit and Jesus making intercession for us. You know what that implies? That he's accepted us. And he's standing before us uh, making our case before the Father. No, Father, that's one of mine. That's one of ours. I've died for them. We are more than conquerors through him who loved us. Wow, that's pretty great. And nothing shall be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. These are the promises of God. These are the things to hang your hat on. These are the notes to write down. These are the things to keep in front of your face. These are the things to set your mind above. These are the things that will help you rise above, students, as you've been in our fort now, to allow your mind to
to be permeated with the truth of God's Word so that you can go back into the schools, so that you can go back into sports or your families even for some of you, and instead of allowing them to shape your identity, to dictate the course of your life, you can say, this is who God says I am. This is who I am in Jesus. And so, therefore, I don't have to be at your mercy anymore because God is for me. So who can be against me? Isn't that great? Man, if I was preaching at Pentecostal church, they'd be falling in the aisles right now. It doesn't get much better than that. That if God's for me, who can be against me? That's good stuff. That's God's word. Now let's end with verses 28 through 31. Verse 28, and God has appointed these in the church, first apostles, second prophets, third teachers, after that miracles, then gifts of healings, helps, administrations, varieties of tongues. Let's stop there for just a minute. I'm going to be quick. What's he talking about this first, second, third? Uh, Commentators love to discuss that. I think a big key to this first, second, third is that if you look at the first three gifts, they're very much related to the teaching of the word. First apostles. The church was formed when Peter, an apostle, preached the word. Then the church was formed. You had the prophets and the teachers that continued the teaching of the word. You will not have a Christian church apart from the teaching of God's word. Amen? And so without the apostles, prophets, and teachers, there was no church. And if the preaching of God's word stopped today, then there is no church. And in fact, that is why many denominations are in decline as they have quit preaching God's word. And so I think that's kind of, I think, a little bit of a glimpse into why that is. People love to debate that, and I don't want to get too far into that because it's, where it's not clear, I'm fine with saying it's not entirely clear. I'll leave it at that. Verse 29, are all apostles, are all prophets, are all teachers, are all workers of miracles? Again, no one has all the gifts. You have some gifting to render the service that God's called you to render. Do all have the gifts of healings? Do all speak with tongues? Now, again, what's interesting, those that say that the healings were just for the apostles, what does he do here? He differentiates between apostles and healings. Isn't that interesting? And he's writing to the Corinthians about having gifts of healings, and he's not talking to apostles here. We kind of covered that last week. If you weren't here, you can watch the video. Do all have the gifts of healings? Do all speak with tongues? Do all interpret? But earnestly desire, last verse, the best gifts, and yet I will show you a more excellent way. And he's going to get into love next week. We talked about last week how there's a difference between talents and spiritual gifts. There's also a difference between spiritual fruit and spiritual gifts. And you must be operating the spiritual fruit in order to really be plugging on all cylinders with your spiritual gifts. You take away the spiritual fruit, your gifts don't work. We're going to cover that next week. But as we wrap up today, let me give you this last point. Be zealous to do the most good. And I really think that's at the heart of what Paul is saying. Is that when I think of the body of Christ, do I, am I zealous for how can I be the biggest blessing possible? You know what happens when you just get focused on what you want. You cause a problem for yourself and anybody that will listen to you, right? But if I can say, hey, I want to be zealous to do the most good, you've, Lord, hopefully you've been around somebody like that and you see what a blessing they are. You be that blessing. 
You be zealous to do the most good. The most good. He's saying eagerly desire the best gifts. Again, it's the Spirit who gives the gifting as He wills. I believe what, what Paul is, is saying here is like, look, <laughs> take what you have and use it for the greatest good. Take what you have and use it in the service of God and His church. I want to close with just talking about um, William and Catherine Booth. They, they started the Salvation Army. What happened was William Booth was a minister in England, specifically in the London area, in the mid-1800s. The church, the traditional church at that time in London, was not reaching the down-and-outers. Alcohol, gambling, all these things were on a rise, and you had churches that were more like, well, you know, I paid for my seat in church, and it was more like a privilege to go to church, and it was more about a class thing, and so the poor and the down-and-outers were getting worse and worse and worse because there was this gap that was widening between the upper class and the lower class and it involved the churches. Very sad. Very sad. So William Booth said, you know, church isn't reaching people like they should. And so he just went out, started sharing Jesus in the streets to the drunks and the thieves and all the people that the, the churches at that point weren't even willing to engage in. And he started leading them to Christ. And then you know what he did? He trained them to do evangelism. And he started an army of evangelists. He ended up with a thousand, a thousand volunteers that had been led to Christ. Or either they were Christians and they got trained in evangelism. And they were going around the streets of London and the surrounding cities sharing Jesus. And as they were putting together an annual report of the ministry, the ministry was at that point called the Christian Mission and a person penned in this annual report, we have a volunteer army of over a thousand people. And William Booth read that and he thought, volunteer army, I like that. And he scratched it out and he penned Salvation Army. And he became the general of the Salvation Army whose purpose was to spread the gospel to those that by traditional means were not being reached. And now the Salvation Army is all over the world. And you know what their slogan is? Doing the most good doing the most good. They take pride in taking the resources they're given and using it in the best way that they possibly can. And we can too. Jesus came to this world. He died on a cross. He rose from the grave. He ascended to the right hand of the Father. And he made us a promise that if we will turn from our way and believe in him, we will be saved. And salvation means that we are forgiven of our sins and given his spirit. And you know what his spirit is? His spirit is a gift. And we are accountable before God to do the most good with the gift that we are given. Would you please stand with me? If you're here today and you've never put your faith in Jesus Christ, we want to close this service by inviting you to do so by inviting you to turn from your way, to believe on Jesus, to receive his forgiveness, to receive his life, to be filled with his spirit, and to begin a life serving him. We, we want to invite you to do that, to, to come down and walk and I'll say, yes, this is my morning. I'm believing in Jesus. My life has changed in this moment. 
The Bible says whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. God will not turn you away if you will turn to Him. But maybe we just realize that, you know, I, I've been a little bit more of a consumer when it comes to my local church than a servant. I need to ask God, God, stir back in me a zeal to do the most good where you put me, how you gift me. Forgive me for my grumbling and complaining. May, may I get back to rejoicing and thanking you for what you can do. Maybe some of you are physically limited. You're not able to do what you once could. Man, we need prayer warriors. We need people to write letters. We need people to make calls. We need to encourage one another, don't we? Amen. There's always something that God has for you until that day when Jesus returns. I'm going to pray. I'll be down front. Our elders will be down front. As the Lord leads, we are here for you. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we love you. We thank you for this moment. We can respond to your word. I, I know that it doesn't end here, but may maybe something start here that we take with us and that we're changed because we've encountered you in a new and a fresh way. Thank you for your spirit that you pour out on all who believe. May, may we be faithful stewards. May we, by your grace, do the most good with what you have given us. And really what you've given us is yourself. And for that, we give you thanks. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.